Good evening. Good to see you all here tonight. I know that uh, you're concerned about Doug Dean, so let me just tell you that uh, he appears to do, be doing slightly better. He's still in intensive care, uh, still very, very ill, but uh, slightly improved from what he was uh, very early this morning, for which we are thankful, but certainly in need of our prayers, and uh, so pray for Carol and uh, their grown daughter, Terry, and uh, Terry's daughter, Susie, as you think of them in their times of uh, struggle through this all. In this most recent series, we've been emphasizing uh, the relationship of Jesus Christ to Adam. Uh, Christ is referred to as the second Adam, and we're looking at truths that are associated with that imagery of him being the second Adam. We began the study by demonstrating that in union with Adam... We have sin, condemnation, and death. In union with Christ, we have righteousness, justification, and life. Last week, we looked at how we are in union with Adam through progeny and through the covenantal relationship that God established with Adam as head of the human race. And we have a relationship to Jesus Christ by faith and a covenantal relationship that God made with him to be head over all those who belong to him. So we have the first Adam and the second Adam. Tonight, we are emphasizing that redemption is a recreation and full realization of all that God purposed for his creation. Theme, in union with Christ, the second Adam, we have a recovery of all that was lost through the first Adam, as well as a realization or fulfillment of all that God had intended for the first Adam. So there's two aspects to that. First, there's a recovery of everything that was lost. And then secondly, Adam did not fulfill God's purpose for Adam's creation. And so Jesus Christ recovers all that was lost. And beyond that, he fulfills all that was intended for the first Adam. So tonight we're going to look at what was recovered and also what was fulfilled that was lost or not achieved by the first Adam. We're looking at this in a a pretty cursory fashion tonight. We're just kind of listing these things. And in the weeks that come ahead, we're going to to unpack a few of them, not all of them. So first, the first and second Adam in intimacy with God. As a result of the fall... The first Adam forfeited intimacy with God, Genesis 3.8. And they, that is Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees. So here is an estrangement. It's a twofold estrangement. It's a estrangement on the part of Adam and Eve that they are hiding from God. They feel guilty. Uh, They feel shame. They recognize that they are naked. And so 
they are trying to hide from the presence of God. They forfeit that intimacy. And then secondly, there's a judicial aspect in Genesis 3.24 where it says that he, that is uh, God, drove the man out of the garden. Uh, And so God withholds the intimacy as well. So there's a twofold problem with intimacy. Man doesn't long for it, and God is going to withhold it. B, through through Christ, the second Adam, we have a renewed and greater intimacy with God. Christ had a perfect intimacy with God, his Father, Mark 14, 36. And he was saying, this is a verse that comes in Jesus' trials in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before that he is going to be taken in order to be crucified. That great prayer where he's asking if it be possible, let this cup pass. And so in Mark 14, 36, he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for thee. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what thou wilt. And we're looking at that term, Abba, Father, Aramaic for, for daddy. Daddy, that's a literal translation. Daddy, daddy, father. An intimate term. Uh, I don't know what your kids call you. Uh, I don't know uh, what terms of endearment. It's always interesting to hear what children call grandparents, and they have all these different uh, terms. Well, one of the uh, most intimate terms you can have is for a little child to call you daddy and mommy. That personal relationship. Two, through union with Christ, we have a new intimacy with God. It is through Christ that we have this new intimacy. And because you are sons, God has set forth the spirit of his son into our hearts. So we have the spirit of sonship. We have, the, we have Christ's spirit indwelling us and offering to us, enabling us to have a unique relationship to God the Father in which we're able to call him daddy. Now, when we think about God the Father, that term, God the Father, is used in terms of relationship of the Trinity, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. He plays a fatherly role within the Trinity. Uh, We find out in the scriptures he's the father of all mankind in the sense that he is the creator. He's the author uh, of all mankind. But it is unique to the child of God to be able to call the Heavenly Father Daddy. So B, this new intimacy with God is characterized by our ability to call him Daddy. We must have had some problems here with the photocopier on the back of these pages, so I apologize for that. But uh, we'll try to labor through it. And because you are sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son than an heir through God. Romans 8.15 For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which you are able to cry out, Abba, Father. So a new intimacy that we have with God through Jesus Christ. Secondly, the first and second Adam and the paradise of God. Through Adam, access to the paradise of Eden was lost. 
and mankind vanished from the tree of life. So he drove the man out at the east of the Garden of Eden. He stationed the cherubim, the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. In union with Christ, we have a full uh, access to the paradise and the tree of life. As you get to the book of Revelation, there is a real bookend to the meta-narrative of redemption. You have a restoration in the book of Revelation of all that is lost through Adam. And so paradise plays a very significant role in the book of Revelation, as does the tree of life. So notice Revelation 2.7. He, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Revelation 22.2. In the middle of the street and on the others, either side of the river was the tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. Revelation 22, 13 and 14. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. All terminology of intimacy and the ability to eat from the tree of life from which they were banished. Third, the first and second Adam and their relationship to the earth. A, Adam was given oversight of the earth. Now no shrub of the field was yet in the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted, for the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. So one of Adam's primary functions was to care for this earth and to cause it to be prosperous, cause it to produce fruit all in the term to cultivate. Genesis 2.15 Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it, to protect it, to watch over it, to be a husbandman of it. Genesis 4.12 After the curse, we read this. When you cultivate the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. You shall be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. So there is this destruction of the responsibility to cultivate the earth. Now cultivating the ground is going to be a problem. And not only is it going to be a problem, but you see, uh, well, I, I get ahead of myself. B, as a result of the fall through Adam, the ground is cursed. Then to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree, about which I commanded you, you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and in dust you shall return. Through Christ, the second Adam, the earth will be restored. For the creation was subject to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who has subjected it in hope, that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. There is a, a redemption of the very creation. Uh, the reason I got started on this subject, as I said a couple weeks ago, is that I've uh, been uh, placed in responsibility of chairing a study committee on the Millennial Kingdom. 
And uh, so I've been looking at kingdom issues and looking at them in light of the second Adam. And people wonder, you know, why does the millennial kingdom talk about uh, flourishing? Why why does it talk about pure streams of of living water? Why all this concept of, of, of beautiful valleys and of gorgeous trees? Well, it's a fulfillment of the removal of the curse on this earth. Those are very literal passages that, that this earth that's been corrupted and that mankind really doesn't care about, even though we should, and it really is a part of our responsibility to care for this planet. Uh, it isn't just, you know, some of the talk show people like to talk about tree huggers and all those kind of things. We really should be concerned about pollution. We really should be concerned about uh, destroying this planet because our responsibility is to cultivate it and to keep it. Jesus will do just that. He will cultivate it. He will keep it when he returns. And there will be no pollution. There will be nothing but a pure stream of living water. For all of the curse is gone. And the curse on the ground is an essential part of that curse, so it becomes an essential part of the restoration. Uh, Let's skip number four. And go to number five. The first and second Adam and dominion over creation. Adam was to have dominion over creation. Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And so part of that image and part of that likeness is then let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky, over the cattle and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So he has dominion over everything that has been created. The first one was that which is not animal life. The second one is animal life. And this dominion of Adam is seen in his naming of the animals. Maybe you wondered about this passage in, in Genesis. I hope you wondered about it. Genesis 2.19. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. What is going on there? Why is that a big deal? That Adam has been entrusted with the responsibility of giving names to all the animals and all the birds. Big deal. So he's naming all these things. But notice the entrustment that God gives. Verse 19. To the man to see what he would call them and what other man called a living creature, that was its name. Well, I think the answer is given to us in Isaiah 40 and 26 and could have picked other passages as well. But look at Isaiah 40, verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high and see who's created these stars, the one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them all by name. 
He calls them all by name. Now notice the next phrase, which is in Isaiah 40, 26. The reason I repeat it was to underline a different section. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. So he calls them all by name. But it's interesting that in Isaiah 40, 26, it isn't a reference to his wisdom, but his power. Certainly, it takes a lot of wisdom for God to call them all by name. But the idea is that that God intimately rules over his creation. And he is so intimately involved with it that he calls the very stars by their name. Watching carefully, judiciously over his creation. Adam was given dominion by God. He was to oversee the creation. And part of that oversight was, Adam, you are to name these animals as part of your dominion, as part of your power, as part of your responsibility. That's why you have this, what at first seems like a rather curious statement in Genesis 2.20, which is this. And the man gave names to all the cattle and to all the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. How does that go together? He's given names to the animals and then it says, huh, but there wasn't a helper suitable for him? You know, did, did he interview the monkeys? And thought, ah, the monkey's not a good wife. You know, the draft, oh, the draft won't make it. Uh, you know, there, there wasn't anybody. And so... I need Eve. It's saying that there was an oversight, a jurisdiction, an intimacy, but certainly not an intimacy like that that existed between Adam and Eve. But yet, an intimacy and an oversight, just like then there's to be an oversight in the relationship between Adam and Eve. So B, through union with Christ, the second Adam, the dominion over the earth will be restored. Colossians 1.23 If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven. Now look at Hebrews 1.3 And he, that is Jesus Christ, is the radiance of his, that is God the Father's glory, an exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his uh, power. Okay, power, yes. Upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of Uh, God on high. But he holds all things by the word of his power. He keeps it in submission, subjection. He keeps it running. But notice Isaiah 11. And there are a number of Old Testament passages we could look at. But I'll, I'll focus on Isaiah 11. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. And a branch from his roots will bear fruit. This is referring to Jesus Christ. And the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, 
the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And he will not judge by what his eye sees, nor make a decision by what he hears. He's talking about what a good ruler he is. But with righteousness he will judge the poor, and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with a rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. And righteousness will be the belt about his loins, and faithfulness the belt about his waist. So what is going to characterize him is righteousness and faithfulness. All that Adam was not the epitome of. But then notice these next words. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb. And the leopard will lie down with the kid. And the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little boy will lead them. And the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. And the nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra. And the winged child will put his hand on the viper's den. A little child can walk up to a poisonous snake and it won't be bitten, won't be struck. I believe that these passages are very literal passages. We're looking for a time in the future in which there is an incredible transition of this world as we know it. All because of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ that is putting back in order all that was lost. For uh, through Adam, not only the ground was cursed, but the animals were cursed. Did I read that verse? Nobody seems to know. I don't know. So I guess it won't hurt to read it again. Uh, If I can find it quickly. I don't know if I'm going to find it quickly. But anyway, the, 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 uh, the cattle are cursed, the, the, the animals are cursed, and so there is a restoration of these things in Adam. Let's go to number four on the bottom page three. The first Adam and the second Adam and the image of God. The first Adam was made in the image of God, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, there's loads to unpack there as we talk about the image of God. Loads to unpack. All I want to show you is that man was created in the image of God. He was to reflect the person and character of God. He was to be the visible representation of this earth, of what God is like. Adam failed miserably in representing who God is. And in that failure, uh, that image of God is marred tremendously. B, through Christ, the second Adam, the image of God is not only restored, but enhanced. Number one, Christ is the expressed or perfect image of God. Second Corinthians 4, 4. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they may not see the light of the gospel or the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Colossians 1, 15. And he is the image of the invisible God. 
Hebrews 1.3, who being the brightness of his glory and express image of his person. And he asked, translates that, and the exact representation of his nature. Jesus is the full representation of God. John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. A perfect representation of God the Father in everything, including dominion. And what we are going to be focusing on in the weeks lie ahead are this aspect of dominion. Because we're going to be looking at the millennial kingdom and the reign of Jesus Christ. So we want to be focusing on dominion. But tonight I just wanted to show you that when we think about salvation, it's much more than just our getting to heaven. In fact, that isn't even what salvation is ultimately about. Because it's not about the heaven, it's about the new heavens and new earth. It's about living here on earth and resurrected bodies in a life that is much like this life, but totally without sin. It is a new existence of what God had intended for his people all along. That's what we're looking forward to. A new earthly existence in which we are going to experience all that God had intended us to experience in the very beginning. That's what salvation is. That's what redemption is. That's what we have to look forward to. So two, through Christ, the second Adam, the image of God is restored in us and enhanced. A, through union with Christ, the image of God is being restored. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed through a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. We are being renewed. We are in process of true knowledge. Now let's go back to the Garden of Eden again. And remember that they were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the serpent said to them, God doesn't want you to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because he doesn't want you to be like him. He knows that the day you eat of that, you're going to be like God. You will not die. Well, they did die. But then you have the interesting statement that God says... The mankind has become like one of us, knowing good from evil. What does that mean? That means that now mankind is making distinctions between good and evil, just like God does. God makes a distinction. God pronounces what is good, and God pronounces what is evil. But the problem is, that mankind has got it backwards. Mankind calls what is evil good and what is good evil. And God has an experiential knowledge of good, but he doesn't have an experiential knowledge of evil. We have an experiential knowledge of evil we don't have an experiential knowledge of good. But through Adam, I mean, excuse me, but through Christ, we will. We are going to have an experiential knowledge of what it is to be righteous and holy and good. We're going to 
be with him forever, living righteous and holy lives. We don't have an experiential knowledge of that. And we're in the process of our minds being renewed so that more and more we're calling evil evil and good good. We are coming around. We are seeing things from God's perspective. That's why it says in Colossians 3.10, that's A, under 2 on page 4, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. So that now we're having a true knowledge of what is good and what is evil. We're making good judgments. And we often wonder, I do, at the crazy things that come out of non-believers' mouths. Such incredible things, like uh, it's actually thought in some realms of counseling today that an incestuous relationship between a father and his daughter is healthy. For who do you want to have your daughter introduced to sex more than somebody who really loves and cares for them? That's perversion. You know what the term perversion means? It means to have backwards. That is just unbelievably poor judgment. That's calling evil good. And our world does it time and time again in a host of situations. There's not the ability to ascertain what is good or what is evil. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, says the Lord. And so, through Jesus Christ... Our minds are being renewed, transformed. B, through union with Christ, the image of God is being enhanced. Romans 8, 29. For whom he foreknew, he also did predestine to become conformed to the image of his Son. 2 Corinthians three eighteen. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as the Lord, the Spirit. We often talk about being conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That means we're being conformed to Christ's image who is conformed to God the Father's image. We are to look more and more like God every day. That's what godliness is. It's God-likeness. We lost God-likeness. But we're gaining it back. Through Jesus Christ who is the express image of God, and he's making us into his image. When before, we bore the fallen image of Adam and the misrepresentation of God. 1 Corinthians fifteen forty nine, And just as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Just as we experienced the sinful nature that comes through Adam, we receive a new nature that comes to us through Jesus Christ. He is transforming us. Everything that was lost in the first Adam, restored in the second Adam, and everything in which Adam failed to achieve that God wanted, Jesus Christ accomplishes. That is redemption. That is salvation. That is the work of Jesus in his totality. Not just getting you and me to heaven, but trans 
forming this world as we know it. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your grace and goodness and the work of the Lord Jesus. I pray that we might learn to rejoice in him and have a sense of expectation that one day we're going to live in a place that's very real, that's, that's very practical, that is very physical, that is much like this existence that we know today, but yet totally without sin. Help us to, to realize how sin has so permeated everything around us. The water we drink, the lawn that we mow, the breath that we take, everything, everything is permeated by sin. All of our relationships, all of our involvements, our own physical bodies. Lord, we look forward to that day in which sin is totally removed. Thank you for that day that's coming. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and you are dismissed.